I want to go back into Matthew 24 this week as we continue to take a breath uh, just for one more week out of the book of Colossians to share some things that I really felt like the Lord had laid heavily upon my heart. And so again, if you would please stand with me out of respect for God's word, we're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 14. <clears throat> Church, hear the word of the Lord. As he, being Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying that I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this. Must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Church, hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord stands forever. Father, we come now to you in this moment, and as we come to your word, and we come to this place where we turn our attention to your word, we acknowledge that it is the authority of our lives, that you are the authority of our lives, and that you have revealed yourself to us and your will and your purposes in your word. And so as we look to it, Father, with all of the distractions of this world, all of the good things that so often become kind of the priority in our lives, Father, all of the challenges, all of the failures, all of the discouragements, all of the things we bring into this space, Lord, we, we offer those up to you right now. We ask and are reminded that you are continually to work in those situations, but now we want to hear your voice to us. And so, Father, I pray your spirit to speak through me and, and that your spirit would also work in the lives of each person in this space in exactly the way that he knows how and only the way that he knows how. So, Lord, we, we, we cry out to you for that. We know we need you. Uh, we're dependent upon you for that. And we ask, Lord, that you would be present. And ultimately, as we've said so many times this morning already, we pray that you would be glorified and you would be exalted in all things. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Church, go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> so last week, I wanted us to wrestle with this idea of really thinking about who, who is at the center of the gospel in our lives. Who is at the center of the gospel in our lives? And we talked about how it's really easy for us to fall into the temptation, even if we never intend it to be true. It's easy for us to fall into the temptation to start to begin to believe that we're at the center of all things related to the gospel, that the Lord somehow orbits around us. And what we said last week was, no, that's not the case at all, that, that he is at the center of all of it. 
that he is the most wonderful, exalted thing that could possibly be, and that we need to be very, very careful not to get too enthralled with our vision of our own awesomeness, right? But that we want to keep our eyes fixed upon him. And, and frankly, as we talked last week and I said last week, I find more and more that's not just a one-time decision for us, is it? To put Jesus and the Lord and the Father and, the God, and our God at the center of all things. But daily, we have to constantly put him back there because our nature and our desire is to want to take that space. And so we must be watchful and we must be prayerful. And I wanted us to be wrestling not only with that, but also to truly see that everything that is happening around us isn't about us, but it's about his glory and his kingdom. And that as a result of that, that we can then trust in his sovereign hand to be moving history in exactly the direction and exactly the way that he wants to move it. Not just on a cosmic scale, but even within our own individual lives, placing us and putting us in very specific ways and places and leading us in the word of God in very specific ways. We can trust his sovereign hand. I believe that as we wrestle with these things, the more that we believe them and the more we live in light of these things, the more boldness that we can have to run towards the events and the moments that happen in our world, trusting that the Holy Spirit is at work wherever God is moving, even if we don't get it, even if we don't understand it. Armed with this foundation, we read Matthew 24, and we read that we aren't to be alarmed because we trust his hand, that this stuff has to happen, that this is exactly what he intends to take place, that none of it is a surprise to him, none of it takes him by surprise, and none of it is out of his control. And we can also see in verse 14 that everything he does is meant to propel forward the testimony of the value and the validity and the proclamation of the good news that he came to give us and to reveal to us all the way to the ends of the earth. And he says in verse 14, it's when that happens, it's then that the end will come. This understanding is to do so much more in us than to just comfort us in the midst of difficult times. It's intended to beckon us to join him in that work, to participate with him in that work. Scripture calls it to be co-laborers, that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're not to hunker down trying to live our lives with as much morality as possible only to hope that we can just get to the end of days. But we are called to, by the, by the power of the Spirit, jump into the currents of His moving history forward, as His moving His kingdom forward until the culmination of the end of the days, when Jesus returns. And it's interesting because as Jesus lays out all of these things and, and the signs of the ends, after he talks in verse 14 and through verse 31, he continues to give signs. So he talks about the abomination of desolation that would come and be into the temple. And he talks about the people of Israel fleeing to the mountains because of great times of trouble. He talks about terrible tribulation to the people of God, false Christ coming, the darkening of the sun and the moon, and then the final moment where the Son of Man would come in clouds with power and with glory. And after this, he then tells us, through his disciples, to pay attention to the signs. 
to be aware. Pay attention to the signs. And it's interesting, it's fascinating to me, because right after he says that, we recognize that it's not so that we will know specifically when these things happen. Right? right? Remember Matthew chapter 24? We didn't read it this morning, but it's there in 24 and 20, uh, really, verse 20, chapter 24, verse 36, he says this, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So the reason he gives us his signs is not so that we can know exactly what's going on, and so we then have to ask the question, why is he giving us these signs in the first place? Like, isn't that the point of a sign? Like, you think about a stop sign? Like, you know, you see the stop sign, you know now what to do in this moment right here. You know exactly what is in front of you, that there's an intersection here. And if you ignore the sign, you're going to blow through the intersection and something really bad can happen. Like, isn't that the point of the signs? Not to leave us in ambiguity, wondering what's going on. Not to lead us into a place where we all have to guess. And yet we know the signs are intended to tell us when he's coming back. They're intended to do something else in us. And Jesus tells us exactly what that is in Matthew 24, verse 44. He says this, Therefore, you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. That's interesting, isn't it? You must be ready. It's coming when you don't expect it. So if you think that you can read Revelation and you can read Matthew 24 and the book of Daniel and all the apocalyptic literature and scripture and you can figure it all out to figure out exactly when Jesus is coming back to where you can expect it to come, guess what? You're not going to be right. Because if you expect it to come, that's when it's least likely to happen. And when you least expect it to come is when it's least likely to happen. And Jesus is telling us the signs not so that we can guess when the day and hour is that he comes back, but so that we, as his people, will be ready. Are we ready? Are you ready? That's a huge question, isn't it? It's interesting because in the next chapter, in the next seven verses of chapter 25, Jesus challenges us to be ready. He gives us three parables, and I'm not having time to go through each one, but the whole point of each of those parables is to think about being ready. He gives us the parable of the wise servants and how some servants were wise, and they saw that the master was delaying, and so they stopped to be wise. And then he gives us the parable of the ten virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom. And some of the virgins had, didn't have enough oil in their lamps, and so right as the bridegroom was about to come, they had to go get more oil, and they missed it. And then he gives us the parable of the servants who are given money, talents is what it's called in the scriptures. And each one is given a different amount of talents or a different amount of money. And the master goes away. And if you know that story, what happens at the end is uh, the one that's given the most amount of finances or money or talents, or whatever you want to call that, and in terms of what specifically that means, but we can call it time, treasure, money specifically. But he invested that and spent it for the kingdom of God. But the one who is only given one, if you remember the story, what does he do? He, he buries it and he, he digs a hole and he sticks it in there because he was fearful. And the master comes back and says, what, what are you doing? And so Jesus goes on all through Matthew 25 asking us that question. Are you ready? 
Will you be ready when I come back? And here's a question that has been haunting me in many respects over the past several weeks. It's certainly been in the forefront of my mind. If I knew that my master was coming back tomorrow, would I change what I am doing today? Let's put it to you. If you, as the church, knew your master was coming back tomorrow, would you change what you are doing today? I mean, really coming back tomorrow. I believe the answer for many of us in this room should be yes to that question. And that's not a good thing. Maybe you would say no. Maybe you're already living in the way that anticipates the return of Jesus. Maybe you're in this space and you believe every day could be your last. Every day could be the day that the the trumpets sound and Jesus comes in the clouds with power and glory. And to you, if that's you, I say keep strong. Keep laboring. Keep moving. Don't be discouraged. You keep plugging away and you encourage the people around you. But to any of us who would answer yes to this question... We need to hear Jesus' warnings that we need to change so that we will be ready. Living our lives as if Jesus' return could be just around the bend of history. Do we believe that? I pray that today we will begin to live our lives in light of that day. In light of that day. Most believers that I talk to rarely talk about the coming of Christ. We're rarely thinking about the day of the Lord. We're rarely thinking about eternity. We're rarely thinking about the glories of eternity. And I don't think that most of us intend to purposely ignore his return or to not think about it. I think it just feels distant, doesn't it? It feels distant to us when we're dealing with kids in the bathroom who are sick or when our garage door breaks down like ours did this week. Or when you've got deadlines that are pressing you. Or when you're planning your vacation to the beach. It's just easy to start to believe that his return is going to be distant. Yet we have been given so much to utilize for his kingdom and for his glory. And what if tomorrow never comes? What if tomorrow never comes? I don't say this to try to make us feel guilty. Nor should any changes in us be driven out of fear. But Jesus makes a very clear point to us in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. To live as if the coming day is right around the corner. And maybe it's not even the return of Christ. Maybe you'll meet him because your life ends in this world. In fact... The point is, is that we as Christians should live as if we're already dead to this world. This is the point, the whole point of the second longest teaching that Jesus gives us in his what's called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Not to alarm us or freak us out or to get us to argue about the end times and what the beast means and what the, the pregnant woman means in Revelation. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You can talk to me later. But he didn't do all this so that we would argue among each other about what all these things is. He gave us these things to encourage us 
that his sovereign hand is doing exactly what it intends to do. And encourage us not only to see that, but also call us as his people to readiness. Because Jesus could come back today. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back before I'm done with this sermon. I don't know why you're saying that. That was not, the, that was not what I intended, but apparently we all hope Jesus comes back before I'm done with this sermon. And this is, this is all hard for us. But I hope that we grow in our awareness of the time so that we can be faithful. Ephesians chapter 5, 16 gives us this admonition that we are to be making the best use of time because the days are evil. Aren't they? Can we feel that? I want him to not just find me to be a more moral Christian. I don't want Jesus to just find me knowing more about the Bible. I want him to find me making the best use of my time. Not, not to just kind of hit the lowest bar that I can hit to get into heaven, but to make the best use of my time. I want to hear him say what he says in Matthew 25, verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, so I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what I want to hear him say. And you say, man, like, how self-serving, Darren, to, to, to care about uh, that he's going to set you over much and all that stuff. And maybe that is, maybe it does feel self-serving, but I truly believe personally that eternity is real. And I believe that in eternity we will have a new earth, and I will believe we'll be given new bodies, and I will believe the reward in which we have in that place is determined by what we do for the glory of God here and now. That's important, isn't it? And we don't think much about that. Now, that shouldn't be our only motivation. Our primary motivation absolutely should be out of love for Jesus, but that should still be a motivation. And I think we rarely consider the wonders of the futures in front of us. And the temptation for us is to just go on eating and drinking as they did in the days of Noah, never being mindful of the days ahead. Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. You, he's talking to Christians, you're not in darkness, brothers. For that day, the day Jesus will come back to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Church, keep awake and be sober. Be mindful. Be alert. Be attentive. We have been told what is going on. So walk like we know what is going on. Act like we know what is going on. Walk in light of the revelation that Jesus has given to us. That he could return at any moment. If we aren't living in light of that day then we need to stop sleeping and we need to wake up. We need to wake up. So what does that practically look like for us? First, I believe it means we need to repent. We need to turn away from the things of darkness. We need to turn away from the ways in which we would have acted and lived as if we didn't know what was happening. 
This is exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 12. He says, the night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Now, here's the thing. Don't hear this and say, well, there were no orgies in my week last week, so I'm good. This isn't intended to be an exhausted list. This isn't intended to help us to see that we are not to be a people who walk in darkness, giving way to the pleasures of this world, living as if this world is what matters most. And so you say, well, I don't do that, but, but what about quarreling? Are we wasting our time with quarreling and jealousy and covetousness and pleasure and entertainment and, and social media and Netflix and Instagram and da-da-da-da-da? We could go on and on and on. Are we walking as if we are in darkness, brothers and sisters? We know what's at hand. And we are to be putting on Jesus and the armor of light, something we're going to talk about next week as we jump back into Colossians. Interesting that God worked it out that way. We didn't plan it that way. This is just the way it happened. But the idea here is this. Stop playing around as if we aren't fully aware of what is coming. Jesus is coming back, and this time he's coming back in wrath. And brothers and sisters, there are billions of people that have no idea what is coming, and they just keep living like nothing is happening, and just like the people of Noah's days. They kept on living in darkness, living in their sins, until the day started to rain. We need to quit playing around. And I'm not just calling out one, but this could go on forever, and I could talk about this for honest. Listen, for you young men who think that the most enjoyable thing in your life is to play in an imaginary world in video games, you have been called to a much greater battle. Stop playing around. For you young girls who think that the most important thing is for you to look pretty and to gain the, the affirmation of other people, stop playing around. And this, we could all do this, right? Like this isn't just young men and young women. We're all in this guilty somewhere. Like We need to stop playing around. Imagine if Noah had waited to start building the boat when it started raining. Is that what we're doing? We laugh, but is that what we're doing as the church? Are we waiting until the rain starts to come before we start saying, like, oh my goodness, like this is urgent? I'm not going to give details about the specifics of my own space, but I certainly know this. In my own complacency, I have felt in some ways I have been walking in dark. I have not been faithful to do what Hebrews 12, verse 1 calls us to. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Brothers and sisters, what's hindering you? Notice that in this text, the first thing is not sin. Like, we love to pick out those things, but what hinders you? What's the weight upon you that distracts you from answering the call that God has put upon your life to step in and actually engage? What's the weight? Some of those things may be good, but if they're taking priority, then they're bad. What's the sin that clings so closely to you? 
Are you seeking to go and take that to the altar and kill it? Because you understand the days in which we live, because you understand that Jesus may come back again, like we need to repent of these things. If we are to wake up, we have to be willing to acknowledge our own failures and turn from them and throw off the weights and throw off the sin, the things that keep us asleep, the distractions of our lives and the distractions of our worlds. We need to repent, brothers and sisters. We need to wake up. Not only do we need to repent, but we need to love. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. It's interesting in Matthew chapter 25, at the picture that Jesus gives us of the judgment When Jesus is separating the sheep, which are his people, from the goats, there's this moment where the goats, the people that are not his, look to Jesus and say, well, wait, what's going on? We did this, and we did this, and we did this. And Jesus says, hey, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And this is what, yes, we did. We're sure we did. And he says, no, no, you didn't. If you didn't do it to the least of these, then you didn't do it to me. Meaning this, when you or I or any of us turn from the least of these, we are turning from Jesus. I believe this starts with the body of Christ first. I believe that Matthew 25 is talking about the body of Christ first because his body is him. That's who he is. And so it starts with the body of Christ, but then scripturally, we're then to concentrically work itself out to the world, to non-believers, but I believe it starts with the body of Christ, which is why we want to serve our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. It's why we want to be praying for them. First, that's why we want to be coming alongside of our, our brothers and sisters in Poland who are struggling to keep up with the needs and the challenges of having people, millions of people flood into their country. I'll be going likely to Poland in a couple of weeks to start figuring out how we as a church can engage and and work in that as we've been invited by Pioneer Bible Translators to work with local churches and church leaders in Poland and those areas. That's why we do that. Because we're to care for the church first. But it isn't just the church. That's to then bleed out to those who don't know him. This is why Donald, for example, our, our outreach director, has been working so hard on getting ready to launch a ministry to Afghan refugees right here in Wichita. Now, remember what we talked about how God's moving history? Remember the Afghan crisis that many of us have forgotten about? And all that happened with that, it was all the news. What if God allowed what happened in Afghanistan to happen so that Afghans who could never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ would come to your doorstep. Is it possible that's what he's trying to do? Are we going to be faithful to love them? Are we going to be faithful to bring them into our homes and care for them? I'm so excited for this ministry. And if you're interested in that, Donald will be outside in the lobby. There's going to be an informational meeting on March 20th. 
from 6 to 8, right over here in the hospitality suite. But if we want to wake up, we need to wake up not only by repenting, but wake up and start loving the way God has called us to love each other and the world outside. But we cannot love well without proclamation, can we? We want to wake up. We must proclaim the good news. How can they hear if no one speaks? This may, mean, this may be really uncomfortable for some of you. It can be really uncomfortable for me. And I wish I had time to go through a whole sermon on this, and I don't today. But at least I want to press us to be mindful that we, as God's people, are to be proclaiming in our lives, day in and day out, the excellencies of him who has brought us out of darkness. The one who has told us what is coming. The one who has shown us what is about to take place. And not only the one who has done that, but the one who died for us to deliver us out of that. We should be proclaiming that. So here's my, my challenge. Start with just the littlest of things. Start by praying, God, how can I proclaim you today? I'm terrified. Listen, if you ever think that you're going to get to the place where you see someone and you feel the Spirit's calling you to say something and your heart doesn't start pounding and your hands don't start sweating... It's never going to happen. It doesn't matter how many times I do it, it, it. It's always terrifying. It always makes me uncomfortable. Me and my wife were having this conversation yesterday as she stepped out and said something to one of the gals that was working at Home Depot. And I hope she's here. But it's terrifying. But we want to proclaim. And so in that process, we just pray, God, how can I do it just a little bit today? How can I step into that today? And you just ask God, like, I don't know how, but I want to. Show me how. Open the doors. Help me to see opportunities. And maybe it's just a small thing. Maybe it's just, hey, it looks like you're having a rough day. Do you know Jesus loves you? I love you. Is there anything I can do to help? You don't have to need to go through the entire gospel presentation in the first time that you talk to that waitress or waiter. But how can you begin to proclaim? And how can you pray every single day that he would open up doors to help you proclaim, which finally leads me to the last point in our desire to wake up. We must be a praying people. Man, this started last night, or last Sunday night. And if you missed it, there'll be other opportunities. I'm excited to tell you, but it was probably one of my favorite times in this church. 85 people came here on a night when it was sleeting. I think that was the enemy, by the way sleeting, and we just prayed. No agenda, and the Spirit just moved, and it was awesome. And we are going to start praying more as a part of this church, and not just in generalities, but we're going to set up times to try to do that more because we believe it's so important for us if we want to be a church who wakes up. And so, for example, we're going to start praying every week in this sanctuary before the service starts. There's going to be, uh, here in the next couple of weeks, at the beginning of the service time, there's going to be a list of things to pray over around our city, our country, our church, not specific, in, like specific individual requests, but general ones. And so will you get up early on a Sunday morning to come and pray? We're going to be here. There's going to be a group of people just down here praying. And so you just come in and you just start joining to pray. And we'll, maybe we won't even tell you to stop when we start singing. Like, you can just keep going. But you want to do that? 
That'd be an awesome opportunity. Can you imagine if we had 200 people here praying from 9 to 9.30? That would be so amazing. It'd be amazing. You know, you can make that happen. I can't. But the Spirit in us can, for sure. Amen? We've got a team that's working on putting together a calendar of specific prayer nights throughout the season of our lives that we can gather together just like we did last Sunday and we can just let the Spirit of God move us and we can just pray. And I'm so excited to see that come to fruition. We don't want to just talk about these things. We want to do it together. We want to provide resources that we can all grow in it in our own individual lives and in our homes. And so in May, we're going to launch a 30-week prayer emphasis for unreached people groups which I'm super jazzed about. I think that's going to be awesome and exciting. But we need to be a people, if we want to wake up, who are willing to repent, who are willing to love, who are willing to proclaim, and who are willing to pray and ask the Lord to move and do mighty works because we can do nothing apart from Christ. Amen? I want you to get a picture in your mind of history being a great torrent, I think you'll see it up here on the screen, this great torrent of history moving throughout this white water rafting river, if you will, going around bends, ultimately culminating in this beautiful eternal ocean of God's glory. This is history for us all. And in that grand torrent is God moving all things to the end of his intended purposes and his intended goal. And in that, you've got Alexander the Great and the Roman empires, and you've got what's happening in Ukraine, and you've got your individual decisions to step into areas like Afghan refugees and, and your own home and just reading the scriptures. All of that's part of this torrent. And so often what happens is we look at this torrent of history going by us as as Christians, we get salvation and we hear the salvation of Jesus Christ and then we become very content to just sit at the edge, banking in the sun, drinking our lemonade with our foot in this torrent, waiting for the day when Jesus will come and just whisk us away in eternity. And so that's what we do. We're just like, okay, like we're just going to do this and we're going to just read our Bibles and we're going to hunker in and we're going to try to kind of protect ourselves and say that, brothers and sisters, this is not the life that God has called you to. It's not the life that God has called me to or any of us to. Do you know what he's called us to? He has called us to jump into the river of God's sovereign movement of history for his glory, for his sake, and for the proclamation of his good name and gospel. We are to jump into the raft of the Holy Spirit. You love my raft? But you're never going to forget it, right? And maybe this analogy is not perfect, but nonetheless, like, I think it helps us get to see like, we are to jump into the raft of the Holy Spirit. And he has called us into that. Not that it's, well, we're the ones carrying us down that river, but we're riding the movement of the Spirit of God. But he has called us to work our muscles as we row the raft, as we pray, and as we labor with one another. I don't know if any of all have been whitewater rafting, but there is a bond that happens when you're in that space, like where you're going down that river and you're all having to go like right, left. I've actually never been whitewater rafting. I've just talked to people who've done it. But I hear that that's what happens. Like, this is what God has called us into, right? 
Like, by the Spirit of God, let's get together in the raft and let's let him carry us down this river. And we never know what's coming around the bend. But we know that every time we reach a bend, when we get to the other side, it's possible that Jesus will return. We never know when we're going to come around that bend and enter into the beautiful ocean of eternity and just like put our oars down and be like, this is amazing. That's what they're all doing. They're raising their hands in like excitement. That's the best I could do for that picture. But this is the point of us. We are to be driving down the course of history with Jesus and with the Lord as he's moving things together for his name and his glory even if it means we die doing it, brothers and sisters. Which leads me to the final point that I want us to ponder. Death, death's not the end. <laughs> death is not the end. Newsflash, death is coming for every single one of us in this room. Every one of us is going to face death. And when we face death, we will then face Jesus. Now, if by God's grace, some of us don't face death, we will bypass that and still face Jesus. But every one of us, I I believe at some level, is going to face death. Death is coming for you, and it's coming for me. And when you and I die... We will find ourselves at the judgment seat of Jesus, which he talks about in Matthew chapter 25, verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations. Can you just imagine that? Jesus on the throne. Billions and billions and billions of people from every generation and every nation standing before him. And he is going to separate people. There will be no other distinction besides sheep and goats. It won't matter what color your skin is. It won't matter what nation you came from, what language you speak. There's only two types of people, sheep and goats. This is the day we have waiting for us. And for the sheep, those who have already died to themselves in Christ, we will be given a new heaven and a new earth and new bodies What do we have to fear? There is no second death for us. There's only one. We're all going to pass through it, but we don't have to fear it because Jesus already beat it. We're going to talk about that in Easter in a few more months, in like a month, right? And we don't have to fear death because he's already done it. And so for us, we have this joy looking forward to us of a new heaven and a new earth because he says, hey, you, good and faithful servant, go enter into my joy, but for the goats, they will be sent to eternal punishment. Not my words, brothers and sisters, Jesus' words in verse 46. So we've got to keep this in our minds. I believe this is why Jesus told us of this day. The clarity isn't to the time and the date, but to the call to wake up and be ready for this day. We're so tempted to spend our lives trying to avoid and put off the wrong death. As Christians, we're to live in this world like we've already died. 
That's why we run to where God is glorifying himself, even at the greatest cost to ourselves, because we're dying to ourselves for his glory. We're dying to our will for his will. We should have no fear of the first death, because for us there is no second death. This should give us tremendous courage, tremendous hope, tremendous passion and zeal to lay down our comforts for the world to come. Tremendous rest and peace in the midst of unbelievable turmoil in our world. Because we have Jesus and we have the hope of Jesus. You know, none of what I have said this week or last week is about the Ukraine. It's about God's people waking up and seeing what is before us and fearing the right things. It's about a call to arms, not a call to comfort, as we hope and pray that we can turn a page as a church and as families and individuals to seek being just a little more sober-minded, a little bit more faithful to the ends of what God has called us to. That's what it's about. If the Ukraine and the crisis there can just be a way for him to launch that as the catalyst in our lives, then praise God. It's about those who have yet to give themselves to Christ. To see that death in this world, that's not their problem. It's the death in the next that they should be terrified of. And that fear should help them to begin to look for help which is where they will find the great love of Jesus Christ. I'm going to call us to a time of repentance this morning. My goal is not to try to make anybody in this room feel like they're not doing enough. That's not the goal. And I hope you know that. The goal is to help us all, including myself, to catch a vision for a more abundantly God-glorifying, God-honoring, God-centered, and zealous life that is generated from a deeper love of God and a greater picture of the days in which we are living. If you feel the affirmation of the Spirit in your life that you're doing exactly what God has called you to, and you're open-handed with your days and with your time and with your life, and you're praying that God would help you make the best use of your time, then be encouraged. I say that again. You keep plugging away, and you bring other brothers and sisters around you so that they can be encouraged by your faithfulness. But if you, this morning, feel the subtle need, even as I share these things, to justify yourself, because you feel some form of conviction, then I simply ask you to consider that that might actually be the Spirit of God. And I would plead with you not to harden your hearts to Him today. If you are not in a daily fight to throw off the weights and the sin that so easily clings to us, in our entertainments, and our pleasures, and our distraction, and our social medias, and our relationships, and our vanity, and all the things that are so part of our nature that we hate, if you don't feel that fight, I have to ask the question, why? If you don't feel that fight in your own heart, I would plead with you to consider, how is it that I don't care about such things?
and truly examine why God's not doing that in you. Is it possible that you don't know him yet? And if you do fight that fight, and you know that it's there, then brothers and sisters, I just simply say, repent, confess it, and you know what you'll find? The arms of Jesus. He'll say, I know. Come, follow me. Like, you're still righteous in my eyes. What a glorious promise we have in that. But I also feel compelled to proclaim that if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, then death, and I don't mean your first death, I mean real death is waiting for you. And you may gain this world only to have your soul turned away at the judgment seat of Jesus to eternal punishment. I just want you to know that world will not be like this world. The best metaphor Jesus could give us for that world is fire. It's the best metaphor he could give us. And I would just plead with you to see that the very judge that is in that seat that Matthew chapter 25 speaks of is the same judge that stepped out of that seat to pay your debt so you could become his son and daughter, that you could become his sheep so that you could be given the inheritance of the kingdom. And all you need to do is see your sin and that there's no, nothing you can do about it. There's no effort you can make. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right in the eyes of God and cast your faith upon Jesus. And he says that he will save. And believing that he died for you and he died for your sins, you just cry out to him this morning. Confess him as Lord, and I promise you he will not turn you away. This is the gospel. And I would encourage you to that this morning. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite Ryan to go ahead and come on up and the team, and I'm going to have them lead us in a song. And as we sing this song, I want to invite our prayer counselors and our elders and our pastors to come up to the front. And I want to call us during the midst of this song to consider, to respond, and if necessary, to repent. To repent of, of living in darkness. I want to encourage you to not just do that alone, but to come and to talk with us, to come and pray. I want to encourage you this morning, like if you're here and you don't know Christ and you aren't assured that when you stand before him, he will send you with the sheep, you don't have to leave this morning with that doubt. And so during this time of singing, I just want to invite you to come and to pray, to come and to, to talk with someone. Maybe you don't want to pray with one of the counselors. Maybe you just want to come and kneel just to Move your body. You know, God has made us body and soul. And sometimes we need to just kneel. But I want to invite you to just respond in these ways. Father, I know that sometimes when we 
share messages like this, it can feel like a discouragement in ways, but it's not. And I pray that your spirit would actually encourage your people. That we would get excited for what you've called us into. That we wouldn't love the times of sleep more than we love the times of being awake and waiting with anticipation for your return. I pray, Father, that you would help us by your spirit to repent of anything that is in our lives that is a hindrance or a sin that would keep us from running the race you've set before us. Soften our hearts, Father. I pray that we would not harden our hearts this morning. I pray, Father, for any in this room that are not assured of what you will say to them when they stand before that judgment seat of your son. I pray, Father, that they would not leave this day without talking to us. Somebody, a neighbor, a friend, a brother, sister, spouse, somebody. But I pray, Father, that you would give a boldness and an urgency in their hearts because they may not have tomorrow. And I want as many with us on the sheep side as possible to your glory. So I pray these things.